And we are recording. What's happening, ladies and gentlemen? Um, of course, right before I decided to turn the camera on, they started mowing lawns outside. So hopefully it's not too loud and it won't pick up on the mic and uh, disturb your viewing experience. So in this video, I'm going to talk about three big stories that have been in the news this week. Number one is the Laura Ingram advertiser boycott. Number two is, uh, it's basically an excerpt that I came across in an article on the Huffington Post, which is about police shootings of unarmed black men. And the third one is the Syrian gas attack. So uh, the first one we're going to start with is the Laura Ingram boycott. In case you live under a rock and you haven't heard about this story, basically what happened is Laura Ingram tweeted about how David Hogg, one of the victims of the Marjorie Stoneman uh, high school shooting, applied to four different colleges, got rejected, and was whining about it. David Hogg replied to this tweet of hers and basically said, uh, oh, so tell me what advertisers are on your program. Uh, I'm asking for a friend. And then he said, hashtag boycott Ingram adverts. He then later posted a list of her top 12 advertisers, and many of the advertisers subsequently dropped from her program because of the backlash they were facing. So something I encountered uh, about this story, this is actually something David Pakman said on his program. His basic argument was that people are free to do this. Uh, if they want to complain to advertisers of a show, they can totally do this, and it's not at all a violation of free speech. He's perfectly right about this, but this is not the end of the analysis. Um, I think the key question that we should ask ourselves is, should people be doing this? Not, are they legally allowed to do this? So when a person says something that you don't like, a person says something that you find offensive, you disagree with it, uh, is the best course of action to try to ruin them financially? I don't think so. Um, I think what we should instead try to do is have a productive debate about the subject. I think if you find something disagreeable, you should publish your own material in which you outline your counterarguments, your criticisms of their position. Uh, and I think just trying to get advertisers to drop from a program doesn't do anything to move the debate forward. Uh, even if you succeed, even if you make it so that there are no advertisers on a particular person's program, you haven't actually debunked their arguments. Their argument is still standing. Uh, so this tactic doesn't in any way contribute to the public discourse on a subject. Uh, it doesn't bolster your position, nor does it refute theirs. All it does is leave them with less money in their pockets. Now you might say, this is the whole point. Uh, less money from advertisers means they're less capable of disseminating their offensive or false message. So it's a net win. Okay, this might be true. Yes, uh, they don't have as much money from advertisers, but is this the kind of world that you want to live in? Where every time somebody hears something that they disagree with or find offensive or vulgar, uh, the first thing they do is they launch an advertiser boycott, and they try to make it so that this person can't make any money from their program anymore. I don't think this is a very honorable tactic. Uh, I don't think this moves the debate forward. Um, and also note that this is, this is a double-edged sword. You might say in this one particular case, because you're not a fan of Laura Ingram, you might say, how wonderful. Uh, advertisers are fleeing from her program. Well, this exact same tactic can be used against people who you agree with, people whose programs you really enjoy, people whose views you think are accurate. Uh, people who disagree with these people can do the exact same thing and try to get their advertisers to drop them. Or if you're a content creator yourself, 
this tactic can be used against you, and people can try to get your advertisers to drop from your program. So a big problem with this whole approach is that it can ultimately lead to the demonetization of anybody who's political, anybody who says anything interesting or controversial that could upset people. If we lived in a world where everybody's reflexive reaction was, uh, oh, I heard something offensive, I don't agree with it, let's, let's try to ruin this person financially. Let's try to get all their advertisers to leave them. This can ultimately demonetize the entire political commentary sphere where anybody is saying anything interesting, it offends somebody, they lose their advertisers, and all we're left are a bunch of boring people in the middle who never say anything interesting or remotely controversial. So I don't think this is good for public discourse, and I don't think it's a very honorable approach. Now, something else people are saying about David Hogg is, uh, oh, how dare you criticize a mass shooting victim? He's not just a mass shooting victim. That's not all he is. He has decided to step into the public spotlight and get political about guns. Uh, now, I happen to agree with him that more gun control is needed in this country. But his status as a victim doesn't exempt him from criticism or scrutiny. Once you put your views out there in the public sphere, uh, once you start making public political arguments, you open yourself up to counter-arguments and you open yourself up to criticism. And this, you can't have one without the other. Um, and he's also not this little baby who, uh, who needs to be coddled in this way. This guy's about to start college. He's clearly very intelligent and mature for his age. So I'm sure he, I'm sure he knew what he was getting into when he started thrusting himself into the public sphere. And I'm sure that he can handle the heat when people criticize him. Um, with that said, I think it is babyish to launch an advertiser boycott because uh, somebody said something mean about you. I think that's a very childish thing to do. At the same time, I think Laura Ingram's tweet was just stupid. Um, I, don't, I don't see the value of criticizing a 17-year-old for not getting into a couple colleges. How, how does this contribute to the gun control debate? Uh, I think it was a stupid tweet and I just don't understand the value of it. Another thing I would point out is, uh, of all the things Laura Ingram has said, this is what we're going to launch an advertiser boycott over. Uh, what about her opposition to stem cell research? What about her opposition to actions which would uh, mitigate climate change? What about her opposition to drug legalization? These are very consequential positions that she has. Uh, tweeting, oh, this guy needs to stop whining about college rejections. This is not very consequential. Stem cell research. This is something that could enhance the lives of millions of people who are currently suffering with terrible illnesses. Global warming. Uh, this is causing an environmental catastrophe. We're talking coral bleaching, reducing oceanic biodiversity, uh, altering migration patterns of all kinds of different organisms, sea level rise, you name it, the list goes on. Drug legalization. Uh, you have people who are rotting away in prison for drug possession, for selling drugs. Uh, this, I mean, these are victimless crimes we're talking about. So the point is, these are very consequential positions that she has. Uh, Arguably, a lot of people could be influenced by her using her platform to talk about her views on these subjects, and yet it's a tweet about some whiny 17-year-old uh, in his college rejections where people are like, that's it, that's the last straw. It, it's time for an advertiser boycott. I just think it's silly that this, of all things, is what stirred up this campaign of outrage. 
So the next story we're going to turn to, uh, it's a Politico, it's Politico, sorry. No, it's a Huffington Post article that I came across. Uh, basically, it's an opinion piece about police shootings of unarmed black men. There's one particular quote that I want to read to you uh, because I found it objectionable and flawed for a number of different reasons. So here is the quote. Social media chaos follows any time a police officer kills an unarmed black person, with everyone shouting into virtual spaces for the facts, always giving the officer the benefit of the doubt. The rhetoric of waiting for the facts assumes that with enough information about a killing, we can accurately determine the value of a life and the deservedness of its end." end quote. So the first thing I would point out is that I think it's wrong to frame this as a racial issue. Because if you came to me and said uh, there was a police shooting, somebody was killed, uh, not a lot of facts, the details are still coming in, we're not really sure what happened, I would say await the facts before we reach a conclusion, whether it was a black man, an Asian man, a Hispanic man, a white man, or uh, an elderly Asian woman. I mean, awaiting the facts when information is in short supply is the reasonable thing to do. And a person's skin color doesn't have anything to do with this. This is just the rational approach uh, in such a situation. I would also point out that she frames awaiting sufficient information before we can rationally reach a conclusion. She frames this as if it's a bad thing, as if it's something to be ashamed of. She writes the facts in scare quotes. The rhetoric of waiting for the facts, again, in scare quotes. Like, oh, you want to wait for the facts? You want to hear what actually happened? before jumping to conclusions. <laughs> Ludicrous. What a crazy idea. Uh, something else I would point out is that, uh, so let me just reread this one particular sentence for you. The rhetoric of waiting for the facts assumes that with enough information about a killing, we can accurately determine the value of a life and the deservedness of its end. End quote. No, I would say this mentality assumes that people who were shot by police aren't always innocent victims. Sometimes people who get killed by police unfortunately did something to bring about their demise. Uh, the most obvious example is a person who pulls out a gun, draws a weapon on a police officer, and tries to shoot them. Or a person who pulls out a knife and tries to stab a police officer. So what we're doing here when we say await the facts, uh, we're saying, yeah, sometimes a person is responsible for a police shooting. Uh, and she says, awaiting the facts, what we're doing here is always giving the police officers the benefit of the doubt. I would point out that a lot of people in the Black Lives Matter community do the exact opposite. When there's a police shooting, details are scarce, a lot of people automatically, refle reflexively assume, before the facts are in, that the person who was shot is completely innocent, they did absolutely nothing to contribute to the shooting, and that the police officers are just trigger-hungry, racist, assholes. Uh, so I think it's kind of hypocritical for her to say, oh, you're just always giving the police officers the benefit of the doubt, when many people in the Black Lives Matter community, at least at times, appear to be doing the same thing, except in reverse. Um, assuming innocence by default of only one side, assuming guilt of the other side, when we don't know the facts about what happened, this is not a rational thing to do. Uh, when we're awaiting the facts, what we're doing is withholding judgments until we have more information and knowledge that will allow us to make a rational assessment of what happened. And the important thing to understand here 
is that these facts could exonerate, yes, the police officer, but they could also exonerate the person who was killed. So this is not a one-sided approach. Uh, if the facts came out and, and showed that there was just a guy who was just kind of hanging out and he was like, hey, what's up, officers? And they just like, bang, shot him if there's a body cam or something. If the facts come out and it's abundantly clear that the person who was killed did nothing to deserve this, then in this particular case, the facts are going to exonerate him. So, no, awaiting the facts isn't giving the officers the benefit of the doubt. It's not a one-sided approach uh, because it's totally dependent. The conclusion that we reach about the shooting is totally dependent upon what the facts point to. With all of that said, yes, there are a lot of problems with policing in this country, uh, with the way that police officers are trained, with the way that lethal force is resorted to more often than it should be, and non-lethal means at times aren't first exhausted. Obviously, I'm not denying any of that, but I just found some of the points that she made in this article to be flawed. So the final story that we're going to turn to is the Syrian gas attack. Now, a little background information, uh, once again, in case you live under a rock. So a couple days ago, there was allegedly a gas attack in Syria, leading to the deaths of dozens of people, the injuries of hundreds. Video has been released showing people, you know, foaming at the mouth, getting the chlorine gas, suspected chlorine gas, rinsed off of their bodies and so forth. Syria and Russia are denying that the attack took place. Um, most likely, they are either lying or mistaken about this because uh, the Syrian American Medical Society has reported that about 500 people came in with clear symptoms of gas attacks, smelling like chlorine, uh, corneal damage, breathing problems, all that stuff. So most likely, Syria and Russia are either lying or they're just mistaken about the facts in this particular case. With that said, I think it is important to point out that in situations like these, skepticism is very important. Because what we have here is the United States government saying one thing, and then we have the Syrian and Russian government saying another thing. Somebody has to be wrong here, okay? And I think a big problem with the approach that the, uh, the mainstream media takes in this country is that they often reflexively assume that whatever the United States government is saying, it's truth, and if, any, if the claims of another government contradict that, uh, clearly they're lying in all cases. In this particular case, yes, I think Syria and Russia are either lying or mistaken, but as a general approach, I think what we should do is be skeptical of the claims that our government and all governments make, and we should actually research the subjects ourselves. Uh, don't just rely upon the pronouncements of the governments or the mainstream media. Actually look at the facts and make up your own mind. Um, so now that this attack has taken place, the war drums are being beaten, uh, Trump is you know, weighing his options, People are saying we should go to war over this. Uh, you know, we should launch some kind of a counterattack to show them we're not going to stand for this kind of a thing. I would point out that assuming that Assad is responsible for this chemical weapons attack, the most reasonable or ethical course of action is not necessarily war. How many more thousands of people would get killed if we, uh, if we invaded Syria or if we started launching airstrikes or drone strikes? How many additional innocent civilians would get killed? as a result of these actions. Uh, I think the important question we need to ask ourselves is number one, questions I should say, number one is what do Syrians want? Number two, what is the best course of action going forward to minimize the loss of life? Because if we started a war with Syria, if Russia got involved and it turned into this, this big catastrophe, who knows how many thousands of people could get killed here? 
when I was thinking about this, I was reminded of an excerpt from a debate that Noam Chomsky participated in. Uh, this particular debate was over Yugoslavia, but the exact logic that he uses can be applied to Syria. Now, in the case of Yugoslavia, what you have to ask, if you care about the people, if you care about the human beings, not your own, you know, sort of uh, uh, preening your feathers, uh, then you ask, what are the likely human consequences, say, for the people of Yugoslavia or the region, if we do X? Right. And you have to ask, well, what are those consequences? So let's say, suppose somebody proposes an American invasion of Serbia, okay? Then we ask, well, what are the likely consequences? Or let's say a UN invasion. Yeah. Then we say, well, what are the likely consequences? Well, I mentioned some of the possible ones, and they're not very pretty. In fact, they might end up and are likely to end up harming the people much more. So therefore, if you want, you can pontificate. You can say, look, what a great moral figure I am. I think we should do X, Y, and Z. But that's not being a moral human being. A moral human being is someone who what are the consequences of what I'm recommending? Mm -hmm. So uh, you separate yourself from, for example, Anthony Lewis of the New York Times. And well, if he had a proposal, I would well, be He wants interested. to, among other things, provide helicopter uh, uh, air-to-surface uh, artillery against, uh, against gun emplacements surrounding Sarajevo. He wants well, to provide arms to the Bosnians, I believe. Well, I think allowing them You've to get You've already given the green light allowing, to understand I mean, I think that's... A, plausible proposal. Right. Right. Uh, whether helicopter gunships could silence the guns is something that Anthony Lewis doesn't know and that I don't know. And you have to find that out before you make the proposal. See, it's, it's all very well to say, well, let's call in helicopter gunships to stop the guns. Will it do it? Uh, well, I don't know, and he doesn't well, will know. will it escalate it to the next level? In fact, is it even technically possible? I mean, there are... Now, he doesn't know, and I don't if know. If they shoot down the gun, yeah. the, the, then, the, the helicopters, then what are you going to do? Yeah. Come out with... Or suppose that that does incite a uh, segment of the Russian military to simply move down there in force. Is that yeah. what you want? Well, Like I said, I think we could and should apply the same logic to the situation in Syria. By the way, is it just me or does Bashar al-Assad totally look like an Italian child molester crossed with a ventriloquist dummy? So the final point I want to make in this video, still sticking with Syria, is, uh, it's basically my response to an argument that I've been hearing a lot of lately. So, a lot of people have been saying things like, when Obama uh, placed his red line, said, we're not going to tolerate chemical weapon use in Syria by Assad, and then chemical weapons were used and Obama did nothing, uh, this made America look weak, it killed American credibility, and ultimately it sent to other nations the message that they can get away with whatever reckless or uh, obscene, terrible actions, and the United States will not retaliate. This is a talking point that a lot of people have been making lately. And I think it's completely fucking absurd. The United States spends more on military than the next seven or eight highest spending nations combined. We've been involved in nonstop across the world wars for decades, sometimes precipitated by the most minor provocations that couldn't possibly be argued to be uh, self-defense, like in Grenada, for example. Sometimes the key motivations for these wars have been outright fabrications, like the WMDs in Iraq, uh, the Gulf of Tonkin incidents in Vietnam. And just generally speaking, I think it's fair to describe the United States as the most militarily aggressive nation on the planet. 
So this idea that countries around the world are just going to start going rogue and doing terrible, horrendous things because they're like, aha, the United States will not retaliate or do anything. And this argument is being made because in one particular instance, the United States didn't resort to military force. I think that's ridiculous. On one occasion, we didn't go to war when we could have. Oh my goodness, this makes the United States look so weak and pathetic. This is laughable. This is the kind of thing that a defense contractor would want you to believe so that you would support even more warfare going forward because we just couldn't possibly tolerate the idea that the world's biggest military spender and user is somehow weak. So that's my assessment of some current events that have been in the news lately. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this video. You can follow me on Twitter at A Skeptical Human, subscribe for more content, and support me on Patreon if you'd like. Thanks for watching, and until next time, take care.